The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Nicholas Disposito, Associate uh, Associate Professor at the same seminary. Your Excellency, Father, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, it's been a couple months since we've had a Francis Watch, and our Listeners have been have been asking, as I told you, Your Excellency, on on our, our recent trip, that they are desperate for more Francis watch, but they don't realize just how much Francis can give you in two months worth. So, as we were preparing for today's show, I'm sure you and Father had a lot to read to be prepared for today. Yes, yes, but I should give a warning to the people listening that. I'm, uh, it's, I just got back from Europe, and I have jet lag, so I'm not responsible for anything that I say, all right? <laughs> Fair enough. I'm only kidding. It's just that I'm, <laughs> I'm not quite 100% today, so, but I'll do my best. Well, as long as you don't conduct uh, today's show the way that Bergoglio conducts his in-flight entertainment on, <laughs> yes. on the jets themselves, <laughs> I think we'll be okay, Your Excellency. So we have, we have four segments today. We have Caution, Francis Speaks, which is obviously our longest segment. We have Caution, Ratzinger Speaks. We have the Fat Lady Warm-Up section, which refers to the SSPX. And finally, we have the Conservative River Crying and Hand Wringing section. So we have four <laughs> sections today. We're going to start with Caution, Francis Speaks. And our first story is from Crux Now from July the, head, um, the, the first part of the article reads, Pope Francis has vowed in a new interview that he won't be slowed down by resistance from ultra-conservatives in the church who say no to everything, insisting, I'm going ahead without looking over my shoulder. Did you or Father Disposito have a chance to look at this article? You know, it's more of the same over the past three years uh, that uh, he is a, 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 a supposedly a pope that's going to put through Vatican II and that he is not going to listen to anybody that is going to contradict him. And it's so amusing to watch somebody who prides himself on being such a liberal to it, 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 seeing him be so dogmatic uh, that he he uh, uh, just is is so dogmatic in his liberalism, which I say is so typical of liberals. To me, no one is more uh, uh, dogmatic and intolerant than a liberal. They their religion is the most dogmatic religion that I have ever seen, 
And so he's saying that he is not going to be slowed down, you know. So we know this already, though. This is nothing new for him. Father, do you know anything about this Joaquin Morales Sola? Yes, uh, Joaquin Morales Sola is a, a journalist, a political journalist in Argentina. He writes in a conservative newspaper called La Nación. And he's basically just a, a journalist. I mean, he's serious, but of course he doesn't understand too much about the, the, this, what is going on in the church. He actually considers Francis to be like a, like a great uh, uh, character. And uh, then he complains that in Argentina, because he people criticize Francis because of politics, that they ignore outside Argentina what he's doing, etc. So I will say, I mean, he just, uh, he admires uh, what he's doing without understanding actually all the, the doctrinal problems. I will say he's ignorant about religion. But, and, and you can see that also in, the, in his interview that he, um, he just asks questions about Argentinian politics, and nothing really important, actually. And at the end, yes, he mentions the conservatives, and it's there when he says, yes, the, the conservatives, they say no to everything, but they want an open church. So um, knowing Francis, what he means, I mean, he's, he's kind, of, kind of similar to Christina Kirchner when she was opposed by um, the right, I would say, a political right in Argentina. She wanted to establish the socialism, basically, uh, in Argentina. And, of course, she had a lot of opposition. But instead of going uh, back, um, she doubled uh, her, whatever, her policies and the strength of, uh, of what she was doing. Francis is... I think, doing the same thing. If he gets opposition, he finds a motivation in that in order to go further in the revolution. And of course, uh, just his style, the revolution already began in Vatican II, and he's just doing, he's continuing the, the job for the modernists. He's a little more... Uh, open about it and not very smart like uh, Ratzinger but that's that's Francis so the the next story and again this seems ages ago now but it's because we didn't have a show in in July so uh, we had to do the stories that happened uh, in June and July and uh, your Excellency you told me that at the end of that episode the last Francis watch that you wanted to make sure that you talked about this so I wanted to make sure we we repeated it um, the election of a Muslim as London mayor illustrates the need for Europe to rediscover its capacity to integrate. This was an this was a interview he gave to Lacroix. The quote is: "It is true that the idea of conquest is inherent in the soul of Islam. However, it is also possible to interpret the objective in Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus sends his disciples to all nations in terms of the same idea of conquest, spreading the gospel as jihad." What do you think of that, Your Excellency? Well, again, it is a, a sign of his ignorance, not an ignorance that excuses from heresy, but an, a, a profound stupidity and ignorance. And I, I know that sounds harsh. It sounds like a, you know, just a, an easy insult to make toward him. But 
it, it is true that, that he's dreadfully ignorant, and he also says things that betray an incredible stupidity. To, to say that the, the uh, command to teach all nations is the same thing, essentially, as the Islamic conquest and conversion with the sword I don't know, even know where to begin. You would have to be a, a, a lunatic to, to make the, that, that, that analogy. The, uh, also, don't forget that he has called proselytism solemn nonsense, that the, that the command given to the apostles and to their successors to go and preach the gospel to the whole world, he says is solemn nonsense. Don't ever forget that. He said that three years ago. Proselytism is solemn nonsense. So the, but to compare the preaching of the gospel to the, this Islamic idea of conquest is it's so absurd. I, I just don't know how, uh, how else to, to respond to that. I mean, there's absolutely no basis to say that. All of the methods are different. and uh, the, the Catholic Church appeals to the intellect and has always defended the idea that the conversion must be something free and it must be something that involves uh, uh, the, the intellect very, very deeply. The intellect must see the motives of credibility of the Catholic faith, and it is the job of the clergy to put out to the all peoples the motives of credibility of the Catholic faith. It's a totally intellectual thing, and that is the the beauty of the Catholic Church is that it constantly appeals to the intellect, whereas Islam is, is simply, a, truly a conquest. It's a, it, it is a, a believe-or-die uh, presentation of, of their ideas. There, and it, there, there is nothing, that, nothing in their method that appeals to, to intellect. Uh, so... You know, I mean, I, all I can say is that it's ignorant and stupid. His comment is ignorant and stupid. As far as a Muslim, the mayor of London, that is such a sign for Europe. Uh, never in the history of Europe has that taken place. Uh, the Muslims came on the scene in the 6th century. And for a Muslim to be now the, the head of a major European city indicates that they are gradually taking over Europe and that in 50 or 100 years, Europe is going to be Muslim unless there is some dramatic change in the mentality of the Europeans. Father, do you have anything to add to that? Well, to me, when Bergoglio speaks about the Catholic Church, it sounds like you things you will uh, hear in Discovery Channel, like the what the enemies of the church have in mind when they speak about the, ch the Catholic Church. So this, uh, yes, uh, the, the Crusades were bad, the Inquisition was bad, and that Christ, uh, of course, was not God, but was some very wise man that learned his religion in the East or something like that, and that's why he was crucified. So that, this like myth about Catholicism, and that's what the people want to listen um, uh, the church represented as a basically a human religion and, and, and all false, as Bishop Samuel says, is all ignorance that is not what the historically the Catholic Church is and it's not what the church uh, teaches. And w when he was asked about the violence in Islam, he said, oh, we, if I speak about violence, I have to speak about the violence of Catholics too. So that's what the people want to hear. 
That's yet another thing we have to talk about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, don't worry, Your Excellency. We've, we've got it all lined up for that. <laughs> all right. The next thing that uh, we're going to speak about is something that you brought up multiple times when we were uh, when you were here in Europe, uh, and this was his comment on justification. This was from June the 26th, uh, part of his in-flight entertainment from Armenia. <laughs> and I'm just going to take a few of the quotes. Um, this, the, the, the questioner uh, asked, uh, perhaps also, this is a heretical question, perhaps to annul or withdraw the excommunication of Martin Luther or of some sort of rehabilitation. So, I mean, you withdraw the excommunication for the SSPX, Martin Luther, it's the same thing. Pope Francis responds, I think that the intentions of Martin Luther were not mistaken. He was a reformer. Perhaps some methods were not correct. He goes on, and today, Lutherans and Catholics, Protestants, all of us agree on the doctrine of justification. On this point, which is very important, he did not err. He finishes, that document of justification, I think, is one of the richest ecumenical documents in the world, one in most agreement. Uh, if that isn't snow on top of dung, Your Excellency, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, it's, it's a, as I said in my speech uh, and uh, elsewhere, it's a blatant heresy to say that Martin Luther was not wrong about justification because his uh, theories about justification were condemned by solemn declaration by the Council of Trent. So it would be the same thing as saying Christ is not God or Christ is not present in the Holy Eucharist. It, it is a blatant, uh, naked heresy to say that, uh, to to say that Martin Luther's intentions were not wrong, I mean, of course, you you know you can't get into someone's head and judge his intentions. But externally, I mean, the way he carried out his so-called reform was in a, a most violent and disgusting way. And you know, a person of good intention would want to perhaps reform the clergy and make suggestions of reforming the clergy would perhaps you know ask for prayers for the reform of the clergy because a lot of the clergy needed to be reformed at the time it's true and he was reacting to to a lot of the immorality of the clergy which he saw uh, particularly in Germany and in Rome but did did he you know lead a life of of purity <laughs> No, he married a nun, <laughs> and he told the elector of Hesse that he could marry two people, that he could be a bigamist. Uh, you know, and and to read his statements, you can tell that he's a man who is obsessed with sex, that sex is on the brain. I mean, this man is a, is a dirty, impure man. So for him to be complaining about other people's immorality is the most pharisaical thing that he could do. I mean, he was full of immorality himself. So, I mean, to say that this was, you know, a nice man that really was just sort of overreacted and, and uh, you know, he really wanted the reform of the church is, again, ignorance and stupidity. It's ignorance of the facts concerning Martin Luther, uh, who said that our Lord uh, had sexual relations three times in his life, have fornicated three times, 
I mean, are we to believe that that man is of good intentions uh, and, and, and that he meant well, you know, and all of this nonsense? It's just ignorance of the facts. All he has to do is read a book about Martin Luther. I mean, it's, and it's nonsense. And then that, that statement that he made about that document that came out about maybe 10, 13 years ago, I think it was 1999, uh, the, and more than that, gosh, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, the, uh, the uh, I commented that uh, in my, in, uh, I forget, in one of my newsletter, I commented that. Uh, and the thing is loaded with heresy, the same kind of heresy that there is agreement concerning justification. And that, that is up on our website, that commentary. I urge people to read that. It's loaded with heresy, and he thinks it's the most wonderful document that ever came out. So, uh, yeah, but we know Bergoglio is a heretic. He says heresies all the time. The most lamentable thing about this is that you have this screaming naked heresy on his part, and not one single person in the whole Novus Ordo religion says a single thing against him concerning that. That is far more to be lamented than what Bergoglio said. We know Bergoglio is a heretic. He's capable of heresy many times a day. He has no faith. I don't, as I have said many times, I don't think he believes in God. All right. I, I think he's a communist. I think he's a, an atheist communist who wants to use religion to put forth a new humanity uh, and uh, uh, essentially all of the goals of the Antichrist. I, I think that's what he is. So what is lamentable is that the that the uh, the so-called ultra conservatives that he complains about ha have absolutely no guts, have absolutely no reaction to that, which which cries to heaven for reaction, a reaction of the faith, that, that this man is a heretic and he should be pulled out and gotten rid of. And uh, so that, that, that's really the, the deeper problem. Father Disposito, for our listeners, can you give a very brief preachies of the Lutheran teaching of justification and the Catholic teaching of justification so that if our listeners are uh, encountering people and they say, oh, well, you know, Pope Francis said this, uh, that we're able to respond uh, quickly and, and cogently? I, I'm, I'm hoping that all Catholics understand, but I don't want to make that assumption, and I, I would like to ask you to help with that. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I would say the issue or the, the, the difference uh, uh, to explain it in a, in a simple way will be a little kind of difficult. But it basically, uh, for Math Mar Martin Luther, you don't need to be changed, I would say, spiritually or um, to be a good in the supernatural order intrinsically in order to be justified, but only an external justification, basically God looking the other way, that's enough for you to go to heaven. And he looks the other way because you have faith uh, and uh, the, the grace of Christ or whatever they call it covers your sins, but you still are a sinner uh, and God doesn't care because you have faith. For the Catholic Church, the, the sanctifying grace uh, elevates the soul to the supernatural order and makes it, of course, the mortal sin cannot exist in the same uh, in, in the soul at the same time as sanctifying grace. Those two things are incompatible. So you cannot be a sinner and at the same time be a just person. <laughs> you see, it's, those two things are um, opposites. But for Luther, you can be a sinner and justified because of this external justification and because of just because of faith. 
And by the way, at least Luther asks for faith. I mean, Bergoglio, not even that is necessary. Um, it's just good naturally. That's enough for you go to heaven. And, but Bishop Samuel was talking about the, the true Luther, the, the historical Luther that was like a, basically a pig. <laughs> that, that might be an insult to pigs, Father. Yes, but I would say the ignorance uh, is not new, or at least the, this idea that Luther, was, I mean, already John Paul II, you remember, he said that he was like a, spiritual, a great spiritual man or something like that. And Ratzinger... In, a, in 1982, in a book he brought, uh, The Principles of Catholic Theology, he says that, um, basically, uh, I will quote him just to be fair, he says, that which in Luther makes all else bearable because of the greatness of his spiritual fervor. That's Ratzinger, the greatness of his spiritual fervor, about, again, praising uh, Martin Luther. So it's not new. I mean, the, the, uh, this uh, modernist... Oh, have this, I don't know, veneration for Luther somehow. Um, and, uh, and, and yes, and the, uh, something that for me was really, I mean, I would say it doesn't surprise me from Bergoglio, but at least, but in a way it did surprise me. He was so clear when he says that, uh, basically, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, he quotes that as saying that that unites us with the Protestants, which in fact, that's what separates us. I mean, the faith is what separates us from the Protestants. But for him, it's what unites us. Yes. That's incredible. Yes. Well, something that Martin Luther might agree with Francis on is, is who is he to judge? <laughs> I think that that might be a quote that, that, that Luther, Luther would have put forward in, the, in another question from a journalist, as Cindy Wooden from CNS, from Catholic News Service, says, Holiness, within the past few days, Cardinal Marx, the German, speaking at a large conference in Dublin, which is very important on the church in the modern world, said that the Catholic Church must ask forgiveness to the gay community for having marginalized these people. In the days following the shooting in Orlando, many have said that the Christian community had something to do with the hate toward these people. What do you think? And again, we don't have time to quote the full text, so we will just quote portions. He says, one can condemn, but not for theological reasons, but for reasons of political behavior. Certain manifestations are a bit too offensive for others, no? But these are things that have nothing to do with the problem. The problem is a person that has a condition, that has goodwill, and who seeks God. Who are we to judge? And we must accompany them well. This is what the catechism says, a clear catechism. I think that the church must not only ask forgiveness, like that Marxist cardinal, he says laughing, must not only ask forgiveness to the gay person who is offended, but she must ask forgiveness to the poor too, to women who are exploited, to children who are exploited for labor. She must ask forgiveness for having blessed so many weapons. The church must ask forgiveness for not behaving many times. When I say the church, I mean Christians. The church is holy. We are sinners. Christians must ask forgiveness for having not accompanied so many choices, so many families. The culture has changed, thanks be to God. Christians must ask forgiveness for many things, not just these. Forgiveness, not just apologies. We can't put limits. All of us are saints because all of us have the Holy Spirit. Now, Your Excellency, if you're still alive over there uh, on the other end uh, of the line, can you help us with this? I mean, he he never misses the opportunity to talk about the poor, 
uh, the homeless, uh, the, the the downtrodden. He's a communist. That's why. Right. Well, you know, he asked the question about homosexuality, and we're we're talking about the poor and, right. and the homeless uh, all right. of a sudden. But um, I, I don't really know uh, where where. I mean, there's something in every single line here to pick apart. Yes. Well, let's uh, let's start. Uh, first of all, the uh, first of all, the church doesn't hate anybody. All right. Uh, the uh, However, the church does hate sin, and it does condemn sin, and it condemns those who love sin. Uh, whatever sin it is, whether they're thieves, I mean, look at how he condemned the mafia and said all the mafia are excommunicated. Well, I mean, they're, they're thieves. That's the seventh commandment. Why don't we just apply the same thing to them? Well, who are we to judge? You know, they're doing the best they can when they shake people down and you know, re require all sorts of uh, payments. And if you don't pay, you put a horse's head in the, in the, in the bed or something like that. You know, the, the, that's just sin. All it is is sin. And why is he exempting this sin of unnatural sex from the uh, condemnation of the Catholic Church for those who practice it? You know, again, he is profiting from a distinction that he that he doesn't make, but which he ought to make, and that is, somebody who, for one reason or another, whether he's born with it or whether he acquires it, for one reason or another, is attracted to the same sex. That is not a sin, and he can go to confession, and the priest will tell him that he has to avoid all of the occasions of sin and lead a celibate life, and do everything necessary for his salvation. That was always the case. That's the way the church treated those people. All right, but if someone is is flouting, uh, and or I should say flaunting this tendency and being proud of it, that is a whole other thing because you are being proud of something that is a, an attraction to something intrinsically disordered. That is a, a, a sin that is worse than any of the other sexual sins because it's unnatural vice. And, and the church has always abhorred it and society has always abhorred it as something bizarre and, and, and it, because it, it, it contains in it that rebellion against God because it's a rebellion against nature. And to take pride in that is to take pride in effectively the sin itself because the attraction is determined and defined by the sin itself. See, so, you know, if I'm attracted to alcohol in some, in some uh, excessive manner, if I, if, you know, do they, should we apologize to them for, <laughs> because we've condemned their drunkenness? Or should they be marching in the streets? You know, I, we're, we're alcoholics and proud of it. In other words, we have this, this attraction to alcohol and we're proud of that and, and we're drunk most of the time. <laughs> I mean, or the kleptomaniacs. There you have another uh, attraction to a sin. So should the kleptomaniacs you know, come down the Fifth Avenue in New York and you know, we're proud of our kleptomania and uh, by the way, be careful of your wallets and, and your purses as we pass by. This is an attraction to sin. That you, you cannot uh, in any way be proud of or justify the attraction when the object of the attraction is something sinful. You know, so he's, he's uh, therefore the church has always condemned the 
the sin, of course, and it has always considered the attraction to be an intrinsic disorder. And it has made this plain. And, uh, and so therefore, the, uh, the, the homosexual has to obey the law of God just like everybody else. He has a special, some special laws that he has to obey. And uh, he should not take pride in his problem, but he should offer it up as, as a cross to God, however he acquired it. Offer it up as a cross and ask God for the grace that, that, he, that he receive all of the necessary, that ask God that he receive all of the necessary graces to go to heaven. That's the proper response with regard to them. The church has nothing to apologize about concerning treatment of homosexuals because any kind of harsh treatment of them came from the fact that they were practicing this evil vice, not because they were attracted to it, but that they were practicing the evil vice. All right, so he's profiting from this distinction that should be made, which he doesn't make. And it was always made in the past. And again, it's just a dishonesty on his part. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's, 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 uh, uh, the, the church, it is the church's job to judge objectively the morality of others. Absolutely. It's, it's job. That's why it's there. If, if there were, if it didn't have that job, it shouldn't exist. There's no reason for it to exist. So that's number one. Now I can't remember what else he said here. We're talking about, uh, refresh my memory. If you want, we can skip over the he's, he laughs by calling uh, Cardinal Marx the Marxist cardinal. And then he says, that's no misnomer, right? He says, we, we mustn't only ask forgiveness of the gay person, but he goes on, we have to ask forgiveness of the poor to women, to children who are exploited. We have to ask forgiveness for blessed weapons. The church has misbehaved many times. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let, let me take that one by one. The, the church uh, is not responsible for the poor. What is responsible for the poor is his socialism that creates the poor. Uh, look at all of the socialist states, as I say many times. They're all poor. There's, there's so many poor people in them. Uh, so there's no, no, you know, the church has condemned socialism. Uh, the, uh, uh, and the church has never promoted any kind of system or anything at all that would create poor people. Conversely, the church has aided the poor immensely during the Middle Ages, the, the monasteries were the places where the poor would go in order to receive aid. It was not the state that distributed aid, it was the distributed aid. It was the monasteries who distributed aid. And people became poor when, when the Protestants repressed the monasteries. And you had these, these poor people wandering the streets. That's, uh, that, that's, it was liberalism that gave us the, the poor houses of the 19th century which the church condemned, economic liberalism, laissez-faire, do whatever you want, which was the effect of the French Revolution. That did not come from the Catholic Church. It is the modern world that has to apologize to the poor because it has, uh, it has set aside Roman Catholicism and has embraced the evils of the French Revolution, and that has given us a lot of poor people. It is absolutely true, the selfishness. Uh, uh, of many has has led to that. Uh, the the uh, uh, and the, those people have to apologize. Not the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, there was has always been alleviation of the poor. That's one of the uh, intentions of the Holy Father when you pray, at you know for an indulgence. One of the his intentions is the alleviation of the sufferings of the poor. 
And we could point out so many saints who, who alleviated the sufferings of the poor and who are on our altars because they did that very thing. You know, it's just stupidity. What, a, what, a, what an asinine thing to say. And, and women, you know, women, how is the, the church uplifted women from, the, from their role in paganism and in other false religions? Uh, I may have told you on, a, on another uh, show that the, the, the pre-Christian Germans had the, had the, uh, the custom, uh, if, they, if the husband should die, uh, they would kill the wife and the dogs and then burn everybody on a pyre because, you know, how, what good is the wife and the dogs if, if the man isn't around? And so that, that, that was their custom. The Catholic Church, of course, did away with such barbarism. But now we have to apologize to women. Uh, women were uplifted by the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, I've also pointed out in the past that, you know, Athens, known for its great democracy, which would be a whole other show, all right? But the, the, as a matter of fact, there's only an elite that could vote. But the, the you know, great Athens, the women couldn't leave their homes, in Athens. <laughs> that was the pagan world and the church uplifted women. And now, you know, we're supposed to apologize to women. The, uh, it, it is the modern world which has destroyed women and by destroying women have, has also destroyed the family and has given us all of the rot of the modern world through the destruction of the woman. What else? Right, it was the church that subdued the, it was the church that took centuries to subdue Europe's practices of having multiple wives or just divorcing and, and yes. abandoning women. It was yes. the church who had to break these people in to the reality of, of what marriage is. Yes. Yes. The, the, absolutely. If you're any kind of student of history, you see that the place of a woman became very much enhanced with the coming of Christianity. Just as the, the, the place of the poor and the place of the slaves. Uh, and, and with the idea that you know, every soul is equal before God. And in the sense that every soul is in need of God's grace. And every soul needs the Holy Eucharist. Every, that, that everyone has a dignity in God's eyes because of baptism or his call to baptism. Uh, that, that everyone is called to the Catholic Church. And that this gives, uh, you know, the king is just as much uh, uh, dependent upon the Holy Eucharist as, as the, the dirtiest serf in his kingdom. <laughs> you know, and this dirtiest and smelliest serf in his kingdom kneels down at the same communion rail that the king does. <laughs> and it's, the communion rail is the great equalizer of humanity. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, you know, the, the church, uh, and the church is no enemy of aristocracy or monarchy, but it does, you know, everyone is the same before the omnipotent God as he is in the Holy Eucharist. Uh, Father Disposito, he says it's not enough to simply ask, uh, not simply enough to make an apology, but that we must ask forgiveness. The culture has changed, thanks be to God. Christians must ask forgiveness, not just apologies. Is he referring still to the sodomites? Uh, he, well, he thinks he's just broadly saying the culture. He says the culture has changed, and he says thanks be to God that the culture has changed. Of course, the culture now, I mean, has overthrown our Lord. I mean, he's not anymore the king. And as, our, as Bishop Samuel was saying, uh, the actual, the real enemy of the poor is Francis. I remember the example of, the, and all the modernists, the Mother Teresa of Calcutta, 
that uh, those Indians uh, that were not baptized and uh, she didn't, uh, I mean, she was, she let them die without baptism, all those poor people in India, or many of them, because of the, of respecting the religious beliefs or whatever. The same thing with the, all these missions and the apostolate, whatever they call it, in the, in the Novo Sordo, they, they go to the, to the poor uh, people and they don't teach the gospel, but they teach socialism and how to basically uh, move themselves like politically and, and fight for the rights. That's what they teach. They don't teach the gospel. They don't teach that they have to uh, believe in the in Christ and the church. They have to be basically, I mean, virtuous and uh, keep the commandments. No, that's not what they teach. I mean, the enemies of the, of the poor are these modernists that go and, and basically pervert the poor. And the same thing with women. I mean, if, if, if in a document Francis says that feminism is great, I mean, of course that's that's not uh, that's against women. Uh, the same thing with everything. I mean, if you tell uh, somebody that has this inclination to homosexuality that that's okay, and that you can be a good person and please God, and uh, at the same time being an active sodomite, you are the enemy of that person. I mean, you are actually putting obstacles to his salvation. So uh, this, the whole thing is really uh, diabolia, di- diabolical, I think. Well, speaking of diabolical, we have some more words of Francis uh, that was only commented on by a couple sites, the Call Me Jorge blog, as well as Rorate Chely. Uh, they talked about some remarks that uh, Francis made um, at the beginning of the pastoral uh, conference of the Diocese of Rome, and that was in June of this year. Uh, and again, I, I, it's it's horrifying for me to even repeat some of what he's saying here. Uh, and it was later the Vatican scrubbed uh, some of the exact quotes. But what we have was regarding the episode where the woman was being saved from being stoned, that our Lord was was scant on morality. Uh, the exact the exact Italian is amo mancato verso la morale, and and then that he was not a clean one. Uh, the the word used was un polito, and this this idea that it's not enough uh, to simply distort what our Lord is doing or or saying. He has to insult our Lord. So we've gone from heresy to to blasphemy, Your Excellency. Yes, it's extremely serious. And again, I think it shows his atheism, that, that there is no faith in him that would make you bite your tongue before you would say such a thing. The virtue of faith gives a, a very strong interior reverence for God. And it's a supernatural virtue. You would, you would sooner die than say these things if you had the virtue of faith to say that our Lord plays the fool a little bit. Where is he playing the fool? He's showing a, 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 a magnificent virtue of mercy toward the, the woman. He uh, is exposing the sins of those who want to stone her. And where is he being foolish here? Why is, what is, how is he a jokester? Or, or, again, you know, it, it defies, it's so stupid. Again, I, you know, I just would go to that word that it defies any kind of explanation except that he's stupid to, 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 to try to make that out as being the fool. He said, what is he, what is he some sort of a nut? 
that might be it, actually, Your Excellency. You Now, you alluded to something that isn't in the scriptures specifically, but you're citing a common teaching of the Father. So can you explain to our listeners, when our Lord is drawing uh, in the dirt there, there is a common interpretation. You said it, but perhaps Jorge, for him, our Lord is just drawing in the dirt, and for him that looks foolish, but maybe he's never read any commentaries on this passage, so he doesn't know what's actually going on. Yes, it is the only thing our Lord wrote, at least that we know from the scriptures. The only time he wrote anything. But it is, the common teaching of the fathers is, is that he was writing the sins of those. And remember, he said to the Pharisees and chief priests who wanted to stone her, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And as he's saying this, he's writing in the sand. And of course, it makes all the sense in the world that he's writing their sins, because otherwise they could, uh, they would not have had the reaction that they did. They could, with their pharisaical pride, just figure, well, nobody knows what I've done. But he is exposing their sins in the sand. And uh, so they throw down their stones one by one and walk away. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense if he's just, what is he, what is he, like a kid playing with sand on the beach? I mean, you know, our, our Lord never did anything that was superfluous. Everything he says in the Holy Gospel is exactly to the point. He never has prolonged conversations. He, he, he is exactly, uh, he, he just says the, the minimum necessary. And that is true of, of for example, the, the angels, when they do, when they deliver a message, they are quick. They do not ta dally, dilly-dally. Uh, they do not uh, waste time. They just say what needs to be said. That is true of all of the uh, people of heaven, we might say, all of the persons of heaven, including the three divine persons, is that, that, that there is no waste of time. Uh, and, you know, to, to accuse our Lord of doing something stupid and wasteful like playing in the sand, essentially, while he has said this, is blasphemous. It's contrary to his divine nature to say such a thing. And, and uh, again, you know, that it comes out of the mouth of this horrid man is, you know, we expect it. That there is not a single person in that whole Novus Order religion that makes any kind of serious accusation against him. That is more to be lamented than this person, than, than, uh, that he can get away with this stuff it is, is more to be lamented that they have so lost either their faith or their fortitude in the faith that, that they just cower and say nothing, wring their hands a little bit more. So the, uh, the same was true, you know, to say our Lord was scant on morality, uh, a mancato verso la morale. That means he was missing something, uh, in, you know, the Italian, uh, with regard to morality. My goodness, that sounds like Martin Luther. Uh, and uh, and, uh, and uh, the and that he was not a clean one. That's Martin Luther. That he was dirty. That was Martin Luther's theory. That in order to save us, he had to be a sinner too. In order to save sinners, he had to taste sin. Basically, that's Martin Luther. You, you know, this is where it comes from. It doesn't come from the, the Catholic Church. It doesn't come from the fathers or any any of the Catholic commentators. They, they wouldn't even think of saying such a thing. It's, it's, it's just so thoroughly scandalous. In June as well, we saw a, uh, 
a broadcast from the Vatican Radio that ends with the following quote, This is the healthy realism of the Catholic Church. The Church never teaches us, quote, or this or that, unquote. <laughs> that is not Catholic. The Church says to us, this and that. Strive for perfectionism, reconcile with your brother, do not insult him, love him, and if there is a problem, at the very least, settle your differences so that war doesn't break out. This is the healthy realism of Catholicism. It is not Catholic to say, quote, or this or nothing, unquote. This is not Catholic, this is heretical. Jesus always knows how to accompany us. He gives us the ideal, he accompanies us towards the ideal. He frees us from the chains of the law's rigidity and tells us, but do that up to the point that you are capable. And he understands us very well. He is our Lord, and this is what he teaches us. Well, Your Excellency, look, he, he says something is a heresy. Yes, this is a, a glaring, blatant contradiction because he says that the church never teaches us this or that. And then he says, it is not Catholic to say, or this or nothing. This is not Catholic, it's a heresy. So he is actually saying that unless you're liberal, you're a heretic. And he is, I hope you see the contradiction that while he's excluding <laughs> right. this or that, he's saying this and not that. <laughs> it's a blatant contradiction. Uh, and it shows that the human mind cannot cannot get out of fixing itself on one thing. The human mind cannot evade truth. If something is true, its opposite is false. And he is saying liberalism, uh, uh, no dogma, uh, that is the, the new rule of the church, and if you're against it, uh, you're wrong and you're out. <laughs> See? So it's like the person who bangs on the table with his fists and says, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Bang, bang, bang. And he's saying an absolute truth. It is the, the glaring error of skepticism and the contradiction of skepticism that, that you must say that skepticism is true in order to be a skeptic. And here he's saying that, that you know, he's posing a dogma that you can't have dogmas. It's like the French Revolution, liberty, equality, fraternity, or death, <laughs> which is, of course, left out. But that was the, at the time of the French, French Revolution, they very much said that, and they carried it out. If you were an enemy of the revolution, you got your head chopped off, or you were sent to your death in, in some other way. So, you know, this again is, is, it's a new religion, it's a new dogma. The dogma is that there is no dogma. See, and, and, and to say that the church never teaches us or either this or that, that's the way it should be translated, either this or that. Well, you have to deny all of the history of the Catholic Church in order to say that. What, what are anathemas? What are dogmas? What are, just read all of the teachings of the councils and the popes who very clearly define what is the truth and what is contrary to the truth. I mean, you know, again, there's an awful lot of ignorance and stupidity here. I mean, are we supposed to take this seriously, that the Catholic Church never teaches us this or that? That, 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 that we, we adhere to one thing and condemn the other? I mean, what, you know, how stupid can you be? 
but I think it's beyond stupidity for him because he's, he's not a Catholic. He doesn't understand it. He, he's he's a, an atheist, a communist, and that's what he's trying to make the church into. He's trying to use the institutions of the church for his own atheism and social communism. And that's the way to understand him. He, he has no idea what he's talking about. You know, it's like a KGB agent or something. <laughs> it's, uh, you have to understand that because he has a white cassock on, although with the black pants that you can always see underneath, uh, he, he is a, a person who has no faith, no religion, uh, and uh, is just an imposter. You know, if you don't understand that, uh, but you have to care about it too. And, and that's why I think, uh, again, uh, where most of the, uh, you know, the, the scandal is that those who do retain the faith in the Novus Ordo say nothing about this stuff. For me, it was funny how he contradicted himself. So one thing is to, yes, in a philosophical manner, say, okay, skepticism, and yes, it's an old error, but he's so stupid how he said that he's talking about doctrine that is not, he says doctrine is not relevant and you wouldn't have to care about doctrine. And like, Two seconds afterwards, he says that if you are attached to doctrine, you're not a Catholic, but a heretic. <laughs> He's like, so, I mean, you have to be really stupid to put it that way. I mean, you <laughs> do. <laughs> you know, and it shows us uh, he's such a, a doctrinaire liberal. And could he please uh, give us the quotation from sacred scripture where our Lord says, do that up to the point that you are capable. Could, you, could he please give us that quote from sacred scripture where our Lord says that? Or for perhaps from the, the Denzinger where you, know, the, you have the collection of the teachings of the Catholic Church that you only need to obey the law up to the point that you're capable uh, and uh, what about St. Paul, that, that the grace is sufficient for thee? You know, and, and you know, what, what, I think that was the quote from St. Paul, isn't it? I think, I think I read that in St. Paul someplace, uh, that, that God gives us a sufficient grace to, to remain in the state of grace, to fight off temptation. If we pray when we're tempted, we will not sin. I think I read that someplace in, in the catechism, you know. But this, I mean, this is just Protestantism. Saint, uh, Saint Martin, <laughs> Martin Luther said uh, that uh, uh, God does not expect us to obey the commandments because he knows that we're not capable of doing so. That's Martin Luther. So th this is you know, straight out of, out of the, the heresiarch Luther. Probably re reincarnation is true. Actually, Luther is, I mean, Bergoglio is Luther. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, yes, you know, so uh, the, the whole problem is in seeing this man as a Catholic and yet worse as seeing him as a Pope. That is the intrinsic problem. He, it is in front of us as clear as day that he is neither a Catholic nor the Pope, but to accept him as such puts the Catholic into a turmoil and drags him into the same pit that Bergoglio is in. One of the other things that he did in June was to send a message, or at least uh, he did not send it personally, but he had a congregation send a message to the Muslim world for Ramadan. And the heading was, Christians and Muslims, Beneficiaries and Instruments of Divine Mercy. Now, 
we don't have time to read all of this, Your Excellency and Father, but I'm going to read parts of the headings from this. And the text uh, we have is from aletea.org. That's A-L-E-T-E-I-A.org. If you want to look up the text yourself. Mm-hmm. He says, Dear Muslim brothers and sisters, the month of Ramadan and Eid al-Fitr is an important religious event for Muslims around the world, focused on fasting, prayer, and good deeds, and is esteemed by Christians, your friends and neighbors. On behalf of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue and Christians all over the world, we extend best wishes for a spiritually rewarding fast, supported by good deeds, and for a joyful feast. A theme that is close to the hearts of Muslims and Christians alike is mercy. I can't believe someone wrote that. Um, he goes on to say in, in, the, in the fourth heading, we Christians and Muslims are called to do our best to imitate God. He, the merciful, asks us to be merciful and compassionate towards others, especially those who are in any kind of need. And it closes with, May the merciful and almighty God help us to walk always along the path of goodness and compassion. We join our prayerful good wishes to those of Pope Francis for abundant blessings during Ramadan and for a lasting joy of Eid al-Fitr. Happy feast to you all from the Vatican. It, again, uh, proposes Islam as a true religion, something, a religion that is pleasing to God. As it, and it also proposes that we worship the same God, which is absolutely false. We don't. And the Muslims would say the same. Uh, notice he never mentions Christ in there because they don't believe in Christ. It's the mercy of God. What about the mercy of Christ, which we usually say? Uh, so again, this is the usual dogma-killing ecumenism, that it doesn't matter whether you're a Muslim or Catholic, you're still pleasing to God, you still have the supernatural virtues, and, but he doesn't believe in those either, so it's all natural mercy. And of course, helping the poor, uh, which is uh, you know, his, his sort of uh, fanatical theme. Uh, and um, so uh, the, uh, it's just uh, another variation on the usual uh, endless uh, theme of, uh, of Bergoglio ad nauseam. What would you have sent to the Muslims on, on Ramadan, Your Excellency, if you were in charge of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue? Not a single word. And I, the only message would be to the Council on Interreligious Dialogue, which would be to go home and get an honest job. <laughs> so what you're saying is you might tell them to drop dead, Your, your Excellency? Uh, effectively, I would not perhaps be so uh, bold as to say that, but that would be the effective uh, conclusion. Uh, you know, uh, if, if ever I'm elected to that position in the Catholic Church, that would be one of the first things to go. <laughs> we, we're, we're talking about Islam because uh, that was in June, just recently, just in the last uh, seven days. Um, Francis mentioned that if I speak of Islamic violence, I must speak of Catholic violence. And this was featured in, in, in Breitbart and in other places. He says, and no, not all Muslims are violent. Not all Catholics are violent. It is like a fruit salad. There is everything. 
And this was in response to the uh, killing of a Father Ham, Father Hamel, Father Jacques Hamel, and the Pope. Uh, the, this was said that the the, 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 quote, the quote unquote Pope responded in this way. Um, what was interesting was that ISIS responded to Francis, and that's where I I mentioned the the drop dead reference. Uh, your Your Excellency also featured in Breitbart. Islamic State responded to these comments of, of Francis, <laughs> and, he, and they said, this is a divinely warranted war between the Muslim nation and the nations of disbelief. Uh, they attacked Francis for claiming that authentic Islam and the proper reading of the Quran are opposed to every form of violence. Francis continues to hide behind a deceptive veil of goodwill, covering his actual intentions of pacifying the Muslim nation. Indeed, waging jihad, spreading the rule of Allah by the sword, is an obligation found in the Quran, the word of our Lord. The blood of the disbelievers is obligatory to spill by default. The command is clear kill the disbelievers, as Allah said, then kill the polytheists wherever you find them. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, certainly they don't seem to agree with uh, Francis's reading of the Quran, uh, Your Excellency and Father. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they are right about the Quran. They, the, the, I, I read the Quran, and they are right. Uh, that, that's one of the famous quotes, and, you know, wherever you find them. Uh, and... Um, so and also it's the history of Islam. Saint Thomas Aquinas says that's their nature, to to convert by the sword, and and you know that was before politically correct. And he has it in his Summa Contra Gentiles, you know, a commentary on, on the Muslims and uh, the 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 difference between you know their violence and whatever violence that a Catholic may commit is is that. There is no unjust violence that is uh, a condoned or encouraged by Catholic sacred scripture or Catholic teaching, and that you know that very term violence. I don't like it because violence is both justified and necessary at certain times. Violence in itself is can be just or unjust, just as anger in itself can be just or unjust. To be against all violence, it would be wrong because sometimes violence is necessary. If a woman is being raped, for example, it is perfectly legitimate and necessary to use violence upon her attacker and push him back and, and stop him from what he's doing. Uh, anyone would say that, uh, that it, it, any unjust violence requires a, a, an equal or greater reaction uh, of violence in order to stop the unjust violence. Uh, and... So that, that there be violence, I mean, the police have to use violence all the time. Uh, a just war requires violence. Uh, the, uh, uh, you know, there is, you know, even bodyguards are, are threatening violence. So he walks around with bodyguards, you know, and, and they, they are at least there to threaten violence against those. Uh, there were Swiss guards carry not only those big axes, but they also carry automatic, you know, automatic weapons. <laughs> and by the way, their weapons are—are are they blessed? You know, which is another thing. Uh, while we're at it, the the uh, the church never blessed weapons. 
for example, you see priests blessing the crews of planes that are about to go off to Germany, but they never bless those planes because it was inappropriate that it was just not something that was uh, uh, an object of blessing. It's not to say that they were wrong in carrying on a just war. It, it was simply to say, this is not something that the church blesses. It's just not appropriate uh, any more than it would bless a sewer or bless a, you know, certain things you just don't bless. And, and uh, uh, so, you know, again, to say that uh, the church has to apologize for blessing weapons. So the, the, the getting back to the point is that uh, there is a good violence and there's a bad violence. Uh, and violence in itself is indifferent and is how it's used and why it's used, which makes it uh, right or wrong. Uh, so, uh, but the, the Islamics have this in their scriptures and have it in their religious culture that, that the infidel is someone who deserves death. And uh, that is not anywhere within Catholic culture. Uh, the Catholics never wanted to put to death infidels uh, uh, just because they were infidels. There was never anything like that. If you had a heretical agitator, yes, he, he would get the death sentence from the government, not from the church, but from the government because the, the religion was so closely tied to society that that was considered a form of treason. Just as if you were to go to Arabia today and get up and blaspheme Allah, you would get put to death in Arabia and all those places because their religion is very much tied to their society and culture, which in principle is the way it should be. There is, society should not be divorced from religion, but religion should be intimately part of it. And that's why in the Middle Ages there was a death penalty for heresy because it was considered to undo the very fabric of society the very basis of authority of the king and, and the, the, all the authority of society. So, uh, so to, to say that, that you know, Christians are violent just as Islamists are violent is, again, a, a complete stupidity. It's just not true. It, he, he doesn't understand the first thing about history or about the, the nature of Islam or about the nature of Christianity. He's ignorant and stupid. It really is. I, I, I know it sounds like a cheap shot, but it, it is true. He is both ignorant and stupid. Well, that's very, that's very ambiguous, Your Excellency. <laughs> um, Father, the reason I want to ask you about the August video is because unlike Bishop Sanborn, both you and I don't hate soccer. And we know that uh, Bergoglio is a big fan of this and the August video is peace through sports. And I don't know if you had a chance to see this video, Father. I have not. And usually I try to avoid them because, uh, I don't know. Uh, I am not too inclined to, to watch those videos. I don't know. But, um, I saw that, yeah, he was because of the Olympics. He was basically whatever. Uh, and I remember, I mean, uh, Emperor Theodosius, if I'm not mistaken, he uh, he was the one who uh, suppressed the Ol Olympic Games, was reestablished after the French Revolution, I, I believe. Um, so that's another thing. I mean, 1890s. So yeah. uh, that's another thing that uh, he now blesses the the sports and stuff. But that's a, I mean, I like sports, and I sometimes I. I, would, I like to watch a game or, or something like that. But, I mean, of course, the, the whole 
the whole culture of sports is so pagan. And so, I don't know. Well, I thought, I mean, surely, surely he's joking. I mean, Argentina has River Plate uh, in there. And Your Excellency, you don't know about this, but this scene of some of the most violent encounters uh, between supporters is soccer in Argentina. I mean, you can get killed going to a soccer game in oh, Argentina. Yes. So oh, yeah. the fact that he'd say it's a, a, a way to get peace is, is uh, I don't know if he's just trying to be ironic or humorous or what. It's absurd. Stupid, stupid. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand. He's so stupid. I'm sorry to say it. Or he's dishonest. Uh, yes, I mean, wasn't there some Colombian that was killed, some Colombian back a few years ago? What was the circumstance of that? Yes, I think it was 1994. 94 because he missed a shot or he didn't save a goal or something like that. So he was killed. He was killed and as, 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 he, as each shot rang out, they said goal. As uh, as he was killed. Yes. 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 Because competitive sports excite anger. See, if a sport is done just as a sport, that is, you know, a game, like you'd play checkers or something like that, and but it's on a field, and you, you have exercise, and you try to oppose your, your, you know, your opponent, and, and you do your best, that, that, is, that, that doesn't excite anger. But when you have a competitive sport, that is where you know there's a there's a uh, something to achieve by your victory, that excites anger, and that anger very often is violent. Look at the the British, uh, how they act up all the time at these soccer events and, and have to be controlled, and and other other nationalities uh, that uh, it's like a, a national god. Uh, the, these national teams and all. I mean, it, it's it, it, it excites anger. It's it's like a replacement for their wars. Uh, and and uh, you know what is he talking about? <laughs> it's one of the most violent things, especially soccer. It is is very violent. Uh, and uh, you know, you know, does he read the newspapers or you know? I mean, I who know nothing about soccer and sports in general, remember that, that the Colombian was, was shot to death because he missed the goal and shamed his country. All it is is a game. It's just a game. Just like Monopoly is a game, it's only a game. Definitely, definitely not in that part of the world. And Monopoly takes more, uh, far more brains to play than soccer. <laughs> the last thing that we're going to cover in the Caution Francis Speaks section today, Your Excellency and Father, is something that His Excellency actually mentioned last week. He mentioned that he thought that we would see some movement on deaconesses, and we did see that uh, uh, just um, a couple days ago, Rarate posted that there is going to be a new commission to study the question of the diaconate of women, especially regarding the first years of the church. So did we did we miss something, Father, about deaconesses? Is there something we can discover by looking at the first years of the church? Uh, well, I mean, before that, uh, before talking about the, the issue, I saw a tweet or something. Somebody saying, "Oh, now they say the vacantes are going to be upset because of that," and and I think No Sword Watch was laughing, and and I thought the same. I mean, we are all, I mean, in favor of those things. <laughs> I mean, we are not against the de woman deacons in No Sordo. I mean, they are already a false, a fake, I mean, naturalistic religion. I mean, they can have a, but um, 
I think Bishop Sambor has explained in other shows what the the female deacons did in the for to help uh, female baptisms in the primitive church. It was nothing to do with what they want to do now, but um, but yes, the whole idea now is the whole. Of course, they don't have priests, and they have to replace them with something. They know sort of, and I think that will be the women deacons and the women bishops and. That will be the something else, and they will justify it, of course. And the Cardinal Burke or something will have a deaconess in his uh, pontifical mass. As he has altar girls, I think, servers. So, um, so that's the no sort of conservatives. As always, they they just go along with it. Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm completely in favor of female deacons in the Novus Ordo. <laughs> I think it's just because you want to see what kind of chasubles they're going to have, uh, Your Excellency. <laughs> yes, yes. I can't wait to see them at the uh, extraordinary uh, form. Have a deaconess at the extraordinary form. That would that that's uh, because after all, if it's permitted, it's permitted. So you know we have to obey the Holy Father. I think, right? I'm being sarcastic, of course. They have those uh, those causes, you know, the pink ribbons for the cure. So they may have these pink chasubles for the cure, so that you know certain. You wear them not. It's not just <laughs> yes. for Laetari or Gaudete Sunday anymore. You can you can wear them anytime. Right. Uh, so that that is the end of the caution. Francis speaks uh, segment. I want to remind our listeners: you are listening to Francis Watch on member supported Restoration Radio. My guest today, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Nicholas Disposito. Our next segment is Caution Ratzinger speaks, and we just have one quote today, but it's it's quite meaningful and important to deal with this ongoing uh, belief system of, of uh, the, the quote-unquote Pope Emeritus. And this is a uh, quote uh, from Ratzinger himself. Eucharist, Eucharistomen, in that moment, my friend Berger sought to emphasize not only the dimension of human gratitude, but naturally the more profound word hidden within it, which appears in liturgy and scripture, in the words, gratias agens benedixit fredi dedicque. Eucharist comen recalls that reality of gratitude, that new dimension which Christ has given us. He has transformed in gratitude, and so in blessing the cross, suffering, all the evil of the world. And so he has fundamentally transubstantiated life and the world and has given us and gives us each day the bread of true life, which conquers the world through the strength of his love. In the end, let us place ourselves in this thanks of the Lord, so to really receive newness of life and help for this transubstantiation of the world, that there may be a world not of death but of life, a world in which love has conquered death. Your Excellency, can we in any way as Catholics understand such a thing as the transubstantiation of the world? No, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's straight out of the pages of Teilhard de Chardin. That, uh, as a matter of fact, he pronounced the words of consecration once over the entire planet. He transubstantiated the world. He was a, a pantheist. This is all uh, pantheism, uh, that, uh, that uh, Christ transformed into gratitude the cross suffering all the evil of the world. Now, the, the, the cross, of course, was a, a, you know, a, an, an act of, uh, of, of 
adoration of his father. Uh, and you could also say gratitude to his father, an act of thanksgiving uh, to his father. But to say all of the evil of the world was transformed? Uh, and, and the only thing that was transformed was the bread into his body. It was the only thing that was transformed. The, the, the world was not transformed by that. But this is, again, this naturalism which confuses the two orders. You see the, that by, by consecrating his, uh, this bread, which is the world, essentially representing the world, he has made the world himself and, and vice versa, that they are one thing. Uh, this is why the at the new mass, you know, we have this bread to offer you. That, that that's the the entire world, and it's going to become Christ. See that you know, it's it's as if it were raising it up, something like the way Frankenstein was raised up and the and the hit by lightning, and then he comes down and he's alive. Well, it, the idea is that we give our gift to him. That is our bread, and he makes our bread. That means the the entire world, representing the entire world. He makes us makes the entire world himself. Uh, John Paul II uh, had the same theory that by the incarnation he has entered into a relationship with every man. You know that that uh, all men are attached to him just because he became man. Uh, it's a very typical theme of the modernists. Um, and then uh, the, uh, in the end, he says, let us place ourselves so, uh, in this thanks to the Lord. So to really receive newness of life and help for this trans transubstantiation of the world, that there may be a world not of death. Well, I'm sorry, we're all going to die. <laughs> what is he talking about? What sort of silly nonsense is he talking about? A world not of death, but of life? We all die. Pius XII says that the only thing that survives this earth is the human soul. So, I mean, this is just nonsense. A person with a brain and who has common sense would say, that's a lot of garbage to say the world not of death but of life. It's not a world of life. It's a world of death. Everything faces death. And a, a world in which love has conquered death Love does not conquer death. What conquers death is the state of sanctifying grace, which calls upon the resurrection of the human body at the end of the world. Does Ratzinger believe in the resurrection of the human body at the end of the world? The answer is no. He does not. He explicitly denies it. He said we are not talking about the resurrection of bodies in relation to that dogma. He is a heretic and he denies one of the articles of the creed. All right, so he's not the nice old man you know, behind the scenes who's Mr. Conservative. He is worse than Bergoglio, but he was not stupid like Bergoglio, nor ignorant like Bergoglio, and he knew exactly how to lure people more efficaciously, actually, into error. I would like to point out just one detail that Ratzinger believes in the transubstantiation of the world but he denies the transubstantiation that happens in the Mass uh, because in an encyclical, uh, Deus Caritas Est, uh, in point number 13, he says he anticipated his death and resurrection by giving his disciples in the bread and wine 
And in the Latin, it says, in pane et vino se ipsum tradens, his very self, his body and blood as the new manna. So it's the heresy again of Luther uh, denying transubstantiation that Christ is in the bread and in the wine. So a uh, little he believes in some, substantia some, some transubstantiations, but not in others, it seems. So I was going to say some substantiation is what he believes in. Yes. Father, was it him or was it JP2 who approved of that congregation or approved of that mass that had no words of consecration? I, th I think it was JP2. It was JP2, but Ratzinger did all the work. Right. I, it, it, it's interesting. He, he believes in transubstantiating the world, but not actually transubstantiation in the mass. <laughs> no. No, the, the, the... Anything but that. Yes, the, no, that can't be. No, he said Christ is in the bread. That's purely Lutheran. The reason is there is no bread after the consecration. There is no bread. So Christ cannot be in the bread, all right? <laughs> so just to make it clear. But Ratzinger wears magnificent shoes, and those, those mitres and those copes, are they nice? You see, I'm being very sarcastic here because the Novus Ordo conservatives see that stuff and they think, oh, the church has been restored in Ratzinger, and if only we had Ratzinger back. And, and again, they are completely duped because they do not understand that he is the architect of all of this, this destruction of the Catholic Church since Vatican II. I think it's the, it's the, shoe, the shoes make heresies disappear. You have red shoes, all your heresies <laughs> like go away. Huh? I, think, I think that's the Dorothy or Kansas doctrine. Yes, that she had to click uh, her red shoes and everything would be okay and that she would be delivered from that's her. That's because she was Dorothy the deaconess, Your, your Excellency. <laughs> yes, yes. So the deaconesses should wear the red shoes in honor of Dorothy. As I was reading Ratzinger's quote, it, 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 after uh, 90 minutes of reading Francis, what was fascinating to me is clearly Ratzinger is so much more academic and in a certain way, one could say, intelligent. And you can see how much more well-constructed his sentences are and his way of thinking. But it's they both get to the same end, which is heresy. Yes. And it made yes. me wonder, it, it's, it, it felt analogous to the U.S. presidential election, which I feel every European, whenever they find out in an American, I always get asked about this. But I, I see Bergoglio as the Trump candidate and Ratzinger as the Hillary Clinton candidate. They're both <laughs> dreadful. One's clumsy with his words, and one's a little bit more prepared, but they're both yes. horrible, um, yes. and, uh, and you can see it here. Yes. Our third segment today is what I call the Fat Lady Warm-Up section, and it's regarding the SSPX, and there are three news stories that we're going to focus on. The first is Bishop Tissier, uh, again... Um, speaking without permission and saying some dreadful things about the new rite of ordination. Uh, we also have an interview with Bishop Follet in which he says, quote, we've never wanted to be separated from Rome. The Vatican never called us schismatic and Rome tacitly approves of our ordinations. And the last is an interview with, with Cardinal um, Pozzo talking about a deal coming close. So the first one, the Bishop Tissier, I'm just going to read, he gave a long sermon. You can find it uh, at Novus Ordo Watch. 
uh, in translation, the last uh, part of the sermon says, uh, he's talking about different prayers that are mentioned uh, in the old rite of ordination, the, the Catholic rite. But dear faithful, this prayer, this rite of transmitting the power to forgive sins was simply suppressed in the new rite of ordination. It is no longer mentioned. So this new rite of ordination is not Catholic. And so we shall continue, of course, to faithfully transmit the real and valid priesthood through the traditional rite of priestly ordination. Somebody, somebody lock up Bishop Tissier. He's certainly not saying the right things, Your Excellency. No, uh, the, uh, this is totally politically incorrect uh, for what they are trying to accomplish. This new rite of ordination is not Catholic. That means the Holy Father has promulgated to the whole world, I'm being sarcastic again, something, uh, a rite of ordination, which is not Catholic, all right? That means that he has promulgated something which is objectively sinful. Because if it's not Catholic, then to use it would be a sin, obviously, because you can't use non-Catholic sacraments. So that touches upon the indefectibility of the Catholic Church. And that is that, that the Catholic Church, by its indefectibility, indefectibility, cannot prescribe or even permit something for the whole church that is a sin. Gregory XVI said it in Mirari Vos, or, or Singulari no, uh, one of the other, one of his encyclicals, and, and that, that the, the Catholic Church cannot do that. So that accuses, obviously, the author of the rite, meaning... Paul VI and, and his successors, by the fact that they continue to maintain it, of being not Catholic. If you're promulgating a non-Catholic rite, I mean, the, you know, what does that say of those who are promulgating it? I mean, uh, the, the Protestant reformers promulgated non-Catholic rites. You know, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, etc., it must be a duck. And so... Uh, and then he says, so we shall continue, of course, to faithfully transmit the real and valid priesthood through the traditional rite of priestly ordination. Well, of course, that means that the Novus Ordo is transmitting a fake and invalid priesthood, which means that none of them are bishops, even if the new rite of ordination were valid, which it is not. All right, again, which it is not. But even if it were valid, if those priests are not validly consecrated, excuse me, ordained, then they cannot be consecrated bishops validly. So that means he's accusing, in this one paragraph, he's accusing the Novus Order religion of having totally corrupted the Catholic priesthood and episcopacy to, and has condemned it to invalidity. <laughs> I mean, that is such a, a sweeping... I mean, something we would say. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, I don't think we'll be hearing from Bishop. We won't be hearing from Bishop Tissy anytime soon. I think they're going to lock him up after that one. Oh yes, he's going to go back to Chicago and be put into uh, isolation after that. So, uh, so according to Tissier, so Bishop Felix dealing with a layman in Rome. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's a layman walking around in a white cassock because he was not validly consecrated. Uh, excuse me, uh, ordained, nor was he validly consecrated. The new rite of ordination actually suffers from more problems than even the 
excuse me, get it, the new right of consecration of bishops suffers from more problems even than the new right of ordination of priests. Mm. Oh, yes. Well, that's, a, that's, that's another episode, Your Excellency, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, but Father Chikata, uh, you know, uh, when he is feeling better, would be really the one to comment on that because he did all of those studies. So then we have Bishop Fillet uh, giving interviews in which he's making all the right noises. As I said, we've, we've never wanted to be separated from Rome. Vatican the Vatican never called us schismatic, and Rome tacitly approves of our ordinations. Well, I mean, to say we never wanted to be separated from Rome, I, I think you could legitimately uh, interpret that in this sense, that they, they always wanted to be submitted to the Roman pontiff in principle. I don't think we could accuse them of wanting to be you know, separated from Rome in the sense that the the schismatics are or the Protestants are. I don't, I don't think that would be a legitimate uh, accusation. So I, he probably means it that way. I'm going to assume he means it that way. Uh, to uh, that we um, uh, that they never called a schismatic. Uh, the if you read Ecclesia Dei, which was condemned the the uh, the consecrations done in 1988. Uh, there's definitely uh, uh, a description of schism there, that it is schismatic to do such a thing. And uh, certainly the bishops were, were considered schismatic and uh, the, the repeatedly diocesan officials have called them schismatic. All right. And uh, so, you know, as the case may be, uh, Rome tacitly approves of our ordinations. Probably it does because they're on the path to reconciliation. I, I would not doubt that. So, uh, uh, you know, it's it's more of the same uh, that they want to be a side chapel of tradition in the modernist cathedral, and they are willing to uh, to do really whatever is necessary in order to accomplish that. And that this is the great goal and that they have a free hand throughout the Novus Ordo religion to in some way uh, function as, as an island of tradition. Um, I mean, they brag about their 600 priests and all, but really that, that's a very small number in comparison to uh, you know, the universal church. Uh, and uh, I remember when I was a child, my diocese of Brooklyn had 800 priests in it. So, uh, you know, it's it's... You know, it's really a drop in the bucket, really. But uh, but they're they're quickly going down the path. I mean, there are other indications. Uh, Monsignor Pozzo said that the uh, the it's the essentially the deal is already signed. It's uh, everyone has consented to it, and that it, the the but it will go by steps, little by little. The implementation of the deal will go in by steps, but the ultimate goal is what they call a personal prelature which simply means that they will have what they call personal parishes. If you go to that parish, then you're subject to the SSPX hierarchy and, and not to the local bishop. Just like the military, they have a personal prelature. That means if you're in the military, uh, you're not subject to the local bishop, but you're subject to the uh, bishop uh, who's in charge of the military, uh, wherever you are. So uh, that's what they're looking for, and, and that's what they will get. I have no doubt about it. I think they've done all of the compromising necessary. Uh, the, uh, in that interview, Pozzo said that uh, 
life is more important than, or life is bigger than doctrine. That's what he said. Life is bigger than doctrine, which is essentially an abandonment of the Catholic faith to say such a thing. And, and so I think they're making their, their entry into the Valhalla of, of um, the uh, modernist religion uh, with the banner uh, that uh, life is bigger than doctrine which to me is, is such a, an evil, evil thing, uh, such a, a banner to, to wave, because that's what they're coming together on, that life is bigger than doctrine. They're coming together on that. Father Disposito, I, I'd said to the bishop last week that I thought that the SSPX was trying a cohabitation with uh, the conciliar, with, uh, with the Novus Ordo sect, uh, you know, because they've been given faculties, but they don't have an official agreement. So they're cohabitating, and potentially after this year of cohabitation, they may have a full recognition. Well, they don't need actually. I mean, they have elements. That's enough, uh, according to their. Um, <laughs> but the the funny thing, I usually when I speak with people, uh, especially those who come to our missions, that perhaps still are, are going to the society or they just have abandoned the society. And the society, sometimes the tenth is perceived as being like traditional Catholic. But if you take a, a closer look, you see that like right now in this interview, the SSPX uh, saying that Vatican II popes have abandoned sacred tradition, which will be <laughs> as a heresy. I mean, a pope cannot do that. Also, they have a heretical notion of the of the doctrine of the papacy. Uh, they have a heretical notion on the universal ordinary magisterium. They have a heretical notion about the ecclesiastical co communion. They accept the no, the partial communion nonsense. And Bishop Fele said in that interview, the famous interview, that they uh, already are are doing ecumenism. So they are again perceived by the people in the the go to I mean the, to the traditional mass as like the Catholic uh, tradition, Catholic resistance and everything. But in fact, they, they are full of heresies. And uh, they, the only thing left basically is the mass, I mean, the cassock, uh, certain uh, things which are traditional, but in the doctrine, I mean, what they, they believe and they, what they teach, uh, they are more and more, um, I would say, far and, and farther from, from, from what you, you read in the in the traditional Catholic books of theology and, and dogmatic theology and all the things. But that. what you believe isn't just cassocks and the Mass, Father. Did you have a chance to see, uh, I, I was with the bishop when he looked at some of the photos, of this brand new church that they built in Madrid? Have you seen this? I haven't, no. Your Excellency, maybe you could tell Father, Father a little bit about this, this new church in Madrid that they built. Yeah, it... Well, it looks for all the world like a Novus Ordo church. Uh, the, it, it is stripped down, uh, both on the outside and on the inside. It, it, uh, uh, the, the fence is all modernistic around it. It's all these twisted uh, modernistic things, something you'd see at the MoMA in New York. Uh, that's the Museum of Modern Art. I mean, the whole thing is done in, a, in, in modern art. Uh, it is a monstrosity that, uh, if you were to look at it, just say that's another mon monstrous Novus Ordo church, and the uh, uh, the uh, inside is is yet worse. Uh, it has um, uh, well, there, there's a statue on the outside that again is modernistic, 
of uh, somebody. I guess it's St. Michael the Archangel stabbing the... It's Our Lady as the Grim Reaper. Oh, it is. True. Is she's, well, she's stabbing a serpent, though, or something, or a... What is she stabbing? A dragon. She's on. Okay, she's she's on the half. She's on the half crescent. I don't. I don't uh, understand that. I don't think I've ever seen that. But in any case, uh, the inside is is yet worse, uh, with uh, uh, you know a really stripped down Novus Ordo look, uh, and uh, with a very bizarre uh, image of Our Lady. You know, it, it looks like some sort of weird artist went crazy in the whole thing. Uh, they must have paid some sick and weird um, um, architect to design this thing. You can tell it it has been designed. It's not something that somebody you know put together. This has all been designed by somebody that that has a, you know a twisted mind, in my opinion. And, uh, and this is uh, this is where they are. I mean, you know, why do we need? the Society of St. Pius X when we have the Novus Ordo. <laughs> what, what are they providing to us? This is, the Novus Ordo already gives us the traditional mass, so why do we need the SSPX when we can have uh, churches like this from, from the Novus Ordo? You know, it, it's, they, it's just such a sign that they have lost everything. But, you know, I remember back in Icone, they had the same modern art in the, they use the same modern, uh, modern art in, in the windows and, and uh, you'd see some of the stained glass windows, it was all modern. You know, th this is a, an organization that does not understand adherence to tradition. They want to be something in between tradition and the Novus Ordo. That's the way to understand the SSPX. They, they, they want to be uh, something in between those two things, but neither one nor the other entirely. And they, they are a, a but, you know, that, that they hook up with the Novus Order with something entirely uh, in, in uh, conformity with their principles. And you can see it in this. I mean, no priest. I, if I were the, uh, the bishop of the diocese, I would refuse to to consecrate or bless this church, and I would order it to be torn down. I mean, how could the benefactors be looking at this, that the people who give their money to the SSPX in, in Spain, I can't imagine that the wealthy families would have... I, I, if I'm shocked, I, I know that the Spanish at least have some sensibility when it comes to art. Uh, I cannot believe that they would have been happy with this with this church. If uh, if our listeners want to look at this a bit closer, Novus Ordo Watch has the story. If you go to the Novus Ordo Wire, uh, you can find it, it. He calls it the House of Horrors, hideous new SSPX church in Madrid, and there's lots of photography there. Um. Yes. The, before I close that segment on the SSPX, uh, just as a response to you know Bishop Fillet saying that we never wanted to be separated from Rome, Vatican never called a schismatic, Rome tacitly approves of our ordinations. I just wanted to to read a quote from from another bishop affiliated with the Society of Saint Pius X. We are suspended ad divinis by the conciliar church and for the conciliar church to which we ha to which we have no wish to belong. That conciliar church is a schismatic church because it breaks with the Catholic church that has always been. It has its new dogmas, its new priesthood, its new institutions, its new worship, all already condemned by the church in many a document official and definitive. 
The church that affirms such errors is at once schismatic and heretical. This conciliar church is therefore not Catholic. To whatever extent pope, bishops, priests, or faithful adhere to this new church, they separate themselves from the Catholic church. So I wonder if there will be an apology and an asking for forgiveness of the poor misguided Archbishop Lefebvre. Do you think that there will be some apologies, Your Excellency? <laughs> uh, yes, well, that was the uh, that must have been when the weather was very bad in Rome when he said that. I mean, there are full of many, many quotes. Uh, Father Schmidtberger said back in the 90s that the faithful uh, should know that we are not in communion with those who promote the new mass and so forth. You know, th there's all of these, these uh, quotations of bravado when things go bad in Rome, and then they turn around and say something entirely different later. So you, you can't really take much of it seriously. But, but certainly, uh, you know, Archbishop you know, Lefebvre moved off of that uh, when he signed uh, the protocol. Uh, he, you know, he went back and forth all the time. He, he said things that, as we know from Father Chikata's, uh, uh video about all of the, the ways in which he promoted the principles of sedivacantism. Uh, he said that and many other things that would lead you to believe in the, the position that we take. And yet uh, you know, his actions did other things. So, you know, but you know, he's the prophet for them and, and the, the prophet can say whatever he wants because the prophet you know, speaks you know, with the, the word of God uh, for them. And, and so they don't pay attention to the contradictions of Archbishop Lefebvre. But I was going to say, how does this fit into the hermeneutic of continuity as the SSPX approaches reconciliation? Do they just pretend that he never said any of these things? It's the, 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 it's the hermeneutic of Lefebvre. <laughs> The, the, uh, the, well, I think the Vatican would, would just say, well, that was one of his outbursts or, you know, something like that. I remember that's what he said. He came back, uh, Rome, uh, in 1974, he put out a, 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 a one, something like that, a declaration like that in 1974. And uh, Rome took him to task on it. Cardinal Saper put to him the, the great question, well, are you saying then that the Roman pontiff has promulgated a right which is evil? Are you saying that? And he backed off of that. You know, he gave a very, very slippery answer to that. And uh, the, uh, he told us that he told the, the uh, modernist authorities in Rome that he composed that, that statement that he made when he was angry. And when I heard that, you know, because we all were like cheering him with that great declaration of 1974, we were cheering, you know, f really he's, he's, you know, firming up against these people. And then he comes back from Rome and he says, I told them that I, I composed it when I was angry. And I just, I, I just fell inside when he said it. I remember the, the exact moment I can picture it in my mind. I just you know, collapsed inside. And, and I think it was, maybe I didn't make it explicit in my mind, but I realized what kind of man he was at that point. You know, that, that these great statements really were, were just the clash of symbols and, and, and did not have any substance behind them. You know, it, it, uh, it, it really disappointed me very much. Mm -hmm. I remember that. We, we might call it the hermeneutic of Galboi. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, for those who want to go back and read... Uh, 
His Excellency's uh, writings on that. Our last segment today is called Conservative River Crying. And we start with a a very strange uh, statement from Anne Barnhart, who's a leading Novus Ordo conservative. And the the title of her article was Vocem Alienorum. The the voice of anti-Pope Francis Bergoglio is the voice of a stranger. And she says, It is now clear to me, and I feel it morally incumbent upon me, given my position, to publicly state that I believe Jorge Bergoglio, Francis, to be an anti-Pope, never having been canonically elected, and that Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, is still the Roman pontiff. The sheer quantity of evidence and the diversity of the confluent evidence sets is now so utterly overwhelming that I believe that a person fully informed of the data set would have to engage in the willful suspension of disbelief to continue to acknowledge Bergoglio as Roman pontiff. Uh, And yet she puts herself into this position, Your Excellency, of putting her trust in somebody who is also going to die at some point. So what will happen then? Right. Right. Well, first of all, you know, she believes in the shoes. You know, I believe in, in two shoes. Uh, and, you know, that's the great credo uh, of, the, of them. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. And as I said, Bergoglio, uh, excuse me, Ratzinger is every bit as radical as Bergoglio, perhaps even more. But he just knows how to fool people by his intelligence and his knowledge. That, that comes off the page with him. Uh, that uh, that he he's uh, you know bright and knowledgeable, whereas what comes off the page with Bergoglio is stupidity and ignorance, and and so people are lured by that. And you know his whole appearance, the the white hair and the the kindly old man, and and of course the rest of it with all of his stuff, you know that he gets out. And so these poor people are just duped by that. And so yes, what, where he will die. And then there will be no, <laughs> there's, according to them, there'll be this stoppage, I suppose. Uh, you know, but uh, I really don't know what, what they have in mind. But uh, Well, there'll uh, be some knows? new Cardinal uh, Siri thesis, I'm sure, and they'll, they'll come out with Leo the Fourteenth or whomever uh, will, will come out of the woodwork. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, but at least she's gotten that far. I'll give her that. Yes, one thing uh, I was when I saw that yes the um, that okay Bergoglio is not the Pope therefore by default is Ratzinger that was like funny because uh, Ratzinger has a list of heresies probably longer than than the one of Bergoglio if you remember the denial of the resurrection what we just mentioned the Christ is in the bread and wine when he said that martyrs died for religious liberty when he said that the Jewish covenant is still valid. Also, he said that there are good good reasons to deny the messianic dignity of Christ. Yes. Uh, he said that Protestants don't they don't need to convert, mm-hmm. and he signed a joint declaration with that uh, Eastern heterodox, whatever Bart- Bartholomew, and the speaking about the Luther, and he gave communion to that uh, founder of the Tese community. You remember. He said that the pagans are good, it's a good religion, and they're pagan saints. <laughs> so, and he also permitted uh, birth control devices. Yes. It's interesting because it's clear that a, this is a, what they call resignationism, someone who believes in, in Ratzinger as the, the real pope. Uh, it's interesting because I think it's really a halfway house that we haven't seen before for someone to get to set of a contest and for them to say, okay, well, we don't think this guy is the pope. There's no way. 
but we think it's this other guy. But what happens when that other guy dies? Are they going to go back and say that Francis is, or are they going to say, okay, I guess we're set of a contest now because our real Pope died. And, and it, and she mentions that he isn't in possession of a canonical election. Does she think it's a procedural problem or does he, she think that a heretic cannot be elected as Pope? That's interesting. Right. What if, if uh, Bergoglio predeceases Ratzinger? Mm. See, then, yes. And then does, does he become Pope even if he repudiates it? And then if they elect a pope and Ratzinger is still the pope? Well, he, might come out, he might come out of retirement. What if they elect a pope when she thinks he's still the pope? And then that, that new pope would be a false pope because there's already a sitting pope. I mean, she's really getting into a, a sticky wicket there. <laughs> Isn't there also the problem, Your Excellency, of the fact that Ratzinger has been seen praying with Francis, seemingly to acknowledge that he is the no, that that's that's a uh, he's locked up. Don't you understand? <laughs> okay. And that that's a dummy that uh, is there. It's just uh, you know, he's, that's not really Ratzinger. That's somebody that looks like Ratzinger. Okay, we're back to the '60s and the the two Paul the Sixes. Right. Okay. He doesn't approve of anything that's going on. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. If only the real Holy Father knew. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, that he has resigned from the papacy and he has made no protestation whatsoever about, uh, about the whole affair of a different pope and so forth. I mean, you know, he could, he could say something. He could pass a note to somebody, I think. It's similar to the case. I mean, I remember when they say, "Okay, um, Paul the Sixth is a false Paul the Sixth that uh, was locked up." And the, and the funny thing was that the false Paul, I mean, the the true Paul the Sixth that was supposed to be like in jail or something, uh, that's actually he was worse than the. If you read the history, I mean, he was like a heretic. I, I mean, during the seminar after the seminary and as a parish priest, the same thing with uh, Ratzinger. I mean. He's worse than Bergoglio, and if yes. he's there uh, against his will, it doesn't matter because the, Bergo the Ratzinger of 1981, for example, he brought in a book. He says, the Council of Trent concludes its remarks on Corpus Christi with something which offends our ecumenical ears. Um, so, and after, again, he praises the Protestants and said that we have to purge the formulation of Trent, basically, of the mm -hmm. of the passionate tone of the 16th century. This is literally Ratzinger. And, and then we are going to find something positive in, in whatever, in the doctrine of the Eucharist of the, in, in the Catholic Church. So it's like, all right, so this, this Ratzinger is there, uh, and it's, that is, <laughs> for me, it's, doesn't make any sense. Um, whatever his situation is, he's worse than Bergoglio in, in many, many uh, ways. Yes, yes. Uh, and But, you know, these people are, th their fundamental problem is that they're trying to connect the Novus Ordo with the traditional faith. That's their fundamental problem. And all of these crazy mixed up ideas come from that fundamental problem. All right, so that, that's, that's, you just have to understand that they, you know, the, that because he wears the red shoes and he's wonderful, then we forget about all of those heretical things that he said in his books and all the other hard things that he did. Uh, it, it's all, it's all, you know, it doesn't exist for them. They have rose-colored glasses that are as thick as Coke bottles 
and and Ratzinger is it because that he is necessary for their system. That the Novus Ordo is continuity. That that is their first principle, and we have to do anything to protect that continuity. We have to believe that black is white and white is black. If so, we must believe it. Uh, uh, otherwise, their whole faith falls apart. Everything falls apart. Uh, in more hand wringing and crying, Cardinal Sara asked for a mass to be said ad orientem, and he was roundly rejected. And uh, but he's uh, he's trying again. He's relaunching his proposal, and along with uh, this pushback in the liturgy, we've started to see some pushback on Amoris Laetitia. And just before we recorded today. Uh, Novus Ordo Watch uh, put out what they're calling Ottaviani Intervention 2.0. I'm not quite certain it's that strong, but 45 Novus Ordo scholars condemn Amoris Laetitia as heretical. Uh, Your Excellency and Father, did you have a chance to read this, and, and what are your reactions? I mean, do they actually... I don't think I read that they said it was heretical. I, I did not find that word. I think that maybe somebody is commenting that they find it heretical, but I don't think I saw that word in it. Did, did, did you... Uh... Well, the, the, the phrase was that they're, they're not... They're saying that um, the, the teaching in question is false, and therefore the Pope could not be teaching it. It's circular reasoning. So this teaching is false... Therefore, since the Pope cannot teach anything false, this must not be church teaching. <laughs> well, false and heretical are two different things. Uh, you can have an error that teach, the, the Pope might teach, you know, that the, uh, some erroneous doctrine uh, that, that is not heresy. Uh, well, for, I shouldn't say that. I mean, he might say something as a private doctor, for example, uh, that would be an error. He cannot teach to the whole church uh, 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 in an ordinary universal magisterium uh, or an extraordinary magisterium, either one, uh, an error. It's infallible. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the, it's another thing is to say heresy. Heresy means that it's something contrary to faith. See, so uh, to, for something to be contrary to faith is, is much more uh, important uh, and has much greater consequences than to simply say an error, like a theological error. Uh, so, you know, they, they obviously skirted around the issue. Uh, they said that the Pope doesn't have the authority to do this. Well, you know, you can stretch that out. If Obviously, the, the Pope, we'll call Bergoglio that for the time being, said it, he published it, it's on the Vatican website, so to say that, you know, he didn't do it, it, it is, is just absurd because he did do it. And, and you know, it, it's, again, this attempt of Novus Ordo conservatives to somehow uh, align Novus Ordo with the traditional faith. And they come up with the most absurd things, just totally absurd, that, that no one with a brain could possibly believe. Uh, you know, they, they, these systems where, where he, you know, he didn't really do it or he didn't really mean it or uh, the, he doesn't have the authority, so therefore we'll, we'll annul those parts or something like that. Uh, that's essentially recognize and resist. That, you know, we won't take these because uh, they're, they're no good. Uh, well, then who's the authority there? It's, it's the 45 lay theologians who that's the authority. You know, it... it, it it is all upside down and inside out and mixed up. 
they're the one thing to, to as the woman says, the, the, there's such overwhelming evidence concerning Bergoglio that it is no longer possible to recognize that man as a true Roman pontiff. That's what they should say. This other stuff is just, uh, you know, small talk. Say it. Come out and say it. These things concern Catholic morality, what you find in Amoris Laetitia, and I saw somebody say Hororis Laetitia. That means the, the, the joy of horror instead of the joy of love. Uh, the, what, what comes off the page is a denial of Catholic morality concerning sexual uh, sexual concerns, uh, sexual matters. And that is all part of the universal ordinary magisterium of the Catholic Church. It is based on revelation, uh, and it is clearly the teaching of the Catholic Church or any, anything that concerns sexual morality. And it has always been consistent in this, te in this teaching. Amoris Laetitia denies that teaching. And, and, and therefore, it's heresy. It's a heresy of the moral order. You know, we think of heresy as something dogmatic, but you can have moral heresies as well. If I say abortion is not a sin, I'm a moral heretic. I'm a heretic of the moral order. Or if I say blasphemy is not a sin, that, that, is, that is a heresy of the moral order. Because the, the object of the church's teachings and her infallibility is faith and morals, not just dogma, but faith and morals. And, and this has been the universal teaching of the Catholic Church, and Amoris Laetitia denies it. It's heretical. But they are tiptoeing through the tulips, so to speak, and not, will not use that word because they know that it will set everything on fire. So I don't take it seriously. I think it's just a lot of garbage, frankly. Well, f uh, this reminds me when you study philosophy and once you have st uh, studied St. Thomas and scholasticism in general, but you have to study also the errors and you go to the new, the, the modern thought and modern philosophy and the subjectivism of Kant and the errors of Descartes, etc. And you see that you have once after Descartes and Kant, when all basically the modern philosophers have accepted the principles of subjectivism, you see that among themselves, they criticize each other and they, they will write refutations of each other. So Schelling is uh, refuted by Fichte, Fichte refuted and by Hegel, and etc. But it's, in, it's already, they're all... Um, inside this kind of like theater of the absurd. I mean, this has a, like an internal logic, but once you accept the principles, you cannot escape being inside of that uh, system. The same thing is here. The, the author of this critique of Amoris Laetitia brought a book praising uh, JP2. So he's already um, all, I mean, he has accepted the, the principles of Vatican II and uh, ecumenism, religious liberty, the dignity of man, all of that stuff. And now this, this like a critique of Francis, but again, without, uh, is, or is in, in the same, again, in the same uh, house or in the same theater, uh, w uh, in the same principles. So it's a critique, but only about accidentals. That's why, as Bishop Samuel says, they don't call a spade a spade, because for them, again, it's all the same, substantially the same thing, the same system, and they are upset because it, uh, Francis 
is different uh, from what uh, JP2 taught about marriage. But again, they, they have accepted the principles uh, of uh, Vatican II. So that's why they, can, they cannot see the problem as we see the Sede Vacantis from the outside. So for us, it's all objective. You just compare the documents before and after Vatican II. You see this contradiction. You reject the whole thing about Vatican II, and you don't go again back inside Vatican II to, to, to speak about these people and these errors. But they know sort of conservatives, they're still inside the system, and, and they will never do anything. I mean, <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, yes, uh, Hegel uh, trying to refute uh, Fichte. I mean... He may have good points, but at, at the end, it's all the, the same philosophical system. So I think the same, I mean, analogically, what happens here in the Novo Sordo land. It's something like in the French Revolution, the, the Jacobins and the Girondists, you know, that they are two factions of the same revolution, one slightly more conservative than the other, you know, slightly less violent and, and horrid than the other, but the, the, it's two factions which accept all of the principles of the revolution, but disagree on, on their application. And, uh, you know, or, or the, the factions within the Communist Party, and, or uh, that, that, you know, you saw in Russia and, and all of the purges and whatnot. Uh, it's the same thing. They, they agree on Vatican II. As I always say, Vatican II is the problem and all of the evils that are afflicting the Catholic Church today are from Vatican II, and the only way out of this problem is to annul Vatican II. That will kill the, the, the dragon. Uh, same way that that uh, distorted Marian figure in the Madrid church is trying to kill the dragon, I suppose. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to associate with that horrid thing, which should be melted down and and made into letter openers or something like that. Well, uh, as, as, as always, uh, Your Excellency and Father, uh, what is going on at the seminary? <laughs> well, <laughs> again, uh, virtually nothing because it, it's uh, almost everyone is out. But we are preparing for the coming year. Uh, we do, of course, a lot of that in the summer. And, uh, um, and you know, we, we've, dis we've refined that program of uh, standard and advanced for the seminarians. We figured out how to uh, you know, do the, the standard uh, training versus the advanced training. Uh, the standard will receive uh, a, a sort of a question and answer catechism for everything they need to know in any course. And they, they will be required to answer those questions exactly as they are given to them. And, and just like a catechism on their exam, whereas the Others will receive those dreadful multiple choice exams, which I have given them at certain times. The advanced will receive those where you really have to think very, very hard in order to get them right. Because, you know, all could be false, all could be true, some false, some true. And they are worded in such a way as to trick you, to make sure that you know exactly the right answer. They're worded very, very carefully. And so they will, the, the more advanced will get those exams, and then they will have to sit for the oral exam in their major courses, the dogma, philosophy, and all of those, moral theology. They will have to sit for those as well. So uh, that's one of the things. And then we're going to have the advanced uh, prepare papers, uh, do some research on, on various questions. Uh, one thing that's going to come out soon, and, and this will cause a certain amount of controversy, is the whole uh, history 
of Mary of Agreda and her um, work, which is known as the Mystical City of God. We've done a great deal of research. Actually, one of the, our seminarians has done it uh, on that, and we will publish that soon. Uh, all of the findings that we have concerning that. So uh, it uh, that, that's you know one thing. Other other things, uh, controverted things in church history and. Uh, just uh, we want them to get their noses in books in the library and to learn how to do research. No one's a better researcher than Father Chicata. <laughs> he he gets right down to the bottom of it, and and as you know, gets out all of these theologians and these quotations. And so we we want to train people. Uh, you know, none of us is going to last forever, uh, and we want to train the young ones coming up to be gladiators uh, in, the, in the arena uh, with regard to the Novus Ordo religion and to expose it and to condemn it. Uh, uh, so, but and on the other hand, you know, we, we need priests who uh, will run parishes very nicely, who know their doctrine, who know their moral theology and their pastoral theology, all of those things. We're going to train both here because we have the ability now to do that. So that, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's what's going on at the seminary. Uh, I'm recuperating from that European trip, which was the most loaded trip, and you know this, Stephen, because you were there all the time. I mean, it was get up at 7 and go to bed at 11. And in between were all sorts of talks and interviews with you know various priests and lay people talking to them and uh, uh, banquets and <laughs> then on the road again. <laughs> it was... Uh, uh, as the French say, la course, which means the, the race, uh, just to go from one thing to the other. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, Stephen, but I was, uh, you know, on the plane going back, I was just thoroughly exhausted from that whole trip, and, and I'm still recovering from it. I think, actually, it might be uh, the first time you've ever wished that I had planned the trip uh, instead, <laughs> yes, because I yes, at least yes. planning sightseeing and days off for you uh, normally when yes. I plan such things. So, uh, but yes, uh, we'll have a lot uh, coming out on uh, the bishop's visit here to Europe. We have conferences that are going to be coming out in French and in English. Um, we have some articles. I'll be writing some reflections upon his time here. So uh, it was a very good trip overall, and, and we might talk with the bishop more about that in another episode. Um, but as always, Your Excellency and Father, thank you for your time. Uh, it was a lot to go through today. Uh, two months of Francis, uh, trying to pack that into two hours is a very difficult thing. But uh, we are grateful for your time, and thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you. If you have any questions for His Excellency or Father uh, about things that we've covered on today's episode, please email questions with an S at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.